episode 145 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 27th of September 2021. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. How's it going? Graham. Hello. And Will. Good evening. So last time, the Wheel of Mare gave us XFCE, and for two weeks, I've been waiting with bated breath to hear how you've all switched to it full time. <laughs> so, I know you've all tried it. How did you try it? Will, you have some experience with it before. Did you try it specifically for this, or did you just phone it in and uh, use your experience? No, I did actually install it, but I was an XFCE user back in my Debian days before I moved over to Ubuntu and then GNOME 2 and then Unity and so on and so on. Thankfully, it hasn't changed, eh? Yeah, I was going to say, it's uh, it's very familiar. But so, I, yeah, anyway, I installed uh, Zubuntu. Uh, I figured that was going to be an easy, painless way to get it up and running. And did you configure it to be exactly how you wanted it? Within reason, I didn't spend a lot of time looking at the uh, the various settings. One thing I found slightly surprising was that the super key wasn't mapped to the start menu, the equivalent of the start menu, but that was pretty easy to set up. Quick Google and, and there was the answer. I changed the background to be all black, as is the way. <laughs> and, uh, you know, everything else was pretty much just as I would want it out of the box. Like the, the tiling window controls were there or thereabouts. Um, setting up workspaces all worked as I would have expected. You know, menus where there should be menus. Everything else was pretty straightforward. Failing. It's not the Plasma desktop. So you therefore thought it was shit. Yes. <laughs> Um, but I actually went for a different distro I've never used before based on a recommendation from one of the listeners. So Kalen Gerber gave a recommendation to try Zorin and that comes from Dublin. So clearly if it was going to be good, it'd be the only one. And, uh, it was very pretty. It was far prettier than I've ever seen XFC look ever. And it was okay. Yeah. I missed the applications, and obviously it's got its own set, but it was a very passable desktop, and it was pretty snappy. I mean, I did run it in a VM, and I did have a few issues, like I couldn't move the panel up to the top. I, I got this weird grabby hand thing, but it never actually did it. I don't understand why. Uh, did you go in and unlock the panel? I didn't. I didn't see anything even remotely like that. Right. So you right-click on the panel. Uh-huh panel preferences ah. and then there's a checkbox for lock panel you have to unlock the panel and then you can drag it to up and down wherever you want it mm, that's cryptic <laughs> it's not the most intuitive but once you realize that it's pretty straightforward he says failing still to be able to move the panel <laughs> why do you want it at the top anyway it should be at the top it should always be at the top it's at the top by default in um in Zubuntu. It is. And that's one of the few changes that I make to Zubuntu, is dragging it down to the bottom where it belongs. Well, that's one of the few changes I make to KDE, is to put it up to the top. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's one of the things that is actually good by default in the Plasma desktop. It's, no, it's exactly where it belongs, the clock not. in the, the bottom right. Menus fall down like a waterfall, not spiralling up like some sort of car crash from Windows land. Well, whatever. So you didn't manage to configure it exactly how you want it then? No, but to be quite honest, the default was actually really nice. Like, surprisingly so. <laughs> and it, it is fast, isn't it? It is, yeah. You know, it is definitely fast. But see, I've never had KDE not be fast. So that's where 
I'm not sure. Like, I can see if you've got a low power box, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, but you've got uh, what a Ryzen three thousand, so pretty decent. Not the the latest or whatever, but definitely fast enough. Yeah, yeah. Well, even on my haunted laptop with Ubuntu on it, it was booting in two seconds or something like that, maybe three seconds, but it felt very, very quick between the BIOS logo and a working desktop really fast. Graham, you've got a fair bit of experience with XFCE, haven't you? Yeah, so back in the old magazine days, I remember I used to use it as my main desktop, but my main experience with it now is that I run it on my arcade machine, which is basically the gut of an old PC. It's not like got any old arcade PCBs in it, so it's running MAME. And what I needed was, despite the fact that the PC is still quite powerful, I still wanted something that was as quick as possible and was configurable and got out of the way, but still provided some kind of niceness. Like I do actually like the settings panels in XFC because you can do everything that you can, like in GNOME or KD, but with less overhead. And for example, I need it to respect the X, R and R rotation because the screen I have as in portrait mode um, for shoot 'em ups And I also needed to remove the panel. And I remember looking at quite a few, including Plasma, uh, removing the panel actually causes lots of problems with some of the other desktops. You miss functionality. But with XFC, you always have access to the right-hand click menu to be able to access everything you want without any further configuration. And that was really good. Um, and so I still use it. I took this opportunity to go back and update it. It's, it's sitting on top of Manjaro. And I've got all my settings saved in text files, which I find easy to pass as well with XFC. And it runs really well, doesn't get in the way, um, loads up. I got I use the auto start um, script, just like in the olden days, to launch um, attract mode. That's the front end I use. And you don't notice it until you need it. And uh, I really like it in, in that respect. Yeah, Manjaro is a great implementation of it. I mean, clearly you've configured it quite a lot, but if you want it just as a desktop, that looks really nice and is configured really sensibly. So uh, Zubuntu or Manjaro are uh, definitely good choices. So do you lot all see why I use it full-time, at least? Yeah, I totally do. I would be, and probably will be, using it full-time, I think, within the next couple of months. But there are still a few things where I, I felt that the corners were a little bit too rough. Animations, I think, is a good example. When you snap a window to the left so that it takes up half the left-hand screen... There's no animation at all. Like, it's just one minute it's square, the next minute, bang, it's on the left-hand side. That's how Joe likes it. That's exactly what I love about it. Yeah, there we go. I felt like it could just do with a little a lick of paint uh, or, or some something in there just to, just to make it feel a bit smoother. But nevertheless, I think I could probably get used to it. And, um, yeah, I think I will probably be using it full-time in the next couple of months. Excellent. Even though we always joke about it, I've always kind of respected you for sticking with it. Because to be honest, the stuff that I like KDE for is all kind of eye candy. It gets in the way of me actually doing any work. And these days when I use it all in tiling mode anyway, I do question what is it I'm getting from KDE. And really, XSC would be much more distraction-free for me, even though I'm probably not prepared to give up the wobbly windows yet. (laughs) (laughs) Phelim, you mentioned the applications. Now, you are a strict cute application man aren't you like you don't like to mix in gtk applications the only exception is firefox right yeah whereas vlc on xfce is fine because i i mean it might look a bit out of place but i just don't give a shit like as long as it plays videos like who cares ah yeah but you see qt on gtk works better because qt 
blends in nicely, whereas GTK forces you to live in their world and isn't quite as nice, I find. Uh, citation needed, Graham. Are you going to back that up? No, I mean, I find GTK works really well these days. In fact, some some GTK apps I prefer because I really like the way they've got some UI elements in the Windows title bar. To be honest, I would find it very difficult to move from KDE because there there's a lot of things I find just even in the file uh, file manager, things like that. Like, for instance, if I set a share on a SAML server that I can connect to in Thunar, but I can't get to in the open file dialog in Firefox, for instance, because it doesn't understand whatever that location setting is. You know, they're not the same. And I, I tried out, just for complete shits and giggles, installing VS Code, which I then also tried to access that. Now, I think that might be a snap or a flat pack. I'm not entirely sure. I didn't overly go into it, but it also can't do that. So there doesn't seem to be the same sort of architecture in there like that KDE has where I can use the same file open save dialogue and get to access to all of those things. And it's always the same for me, which is really, really nice. Right. You're wrong. You're absolutely wrong. If you've got a Samba share that is mounted... Ah, yeah, you're mounting it, though. Whereas I don't want to mount shares. I want to be able to access them. Like, so imagine you had a, a system of, like, 40 servers in a network. You, there's no way you're going to mount all of those. Right. Okay, well, for me, it's just, like, two different Samba shares on my NAS. So. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, that's fine. Because it shows up in other locations, anyway, is what I was going to say. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean, all right. Right. Whereas I just had a nightmare with Plasma trying to, uh, well, well, Dolphin specifically trying to connect to my NAS, I just, I just wouldn't fucking work properly. I think there was something seriously wrong with that machine that you tried it on, though. That was seriously weird because I use it all the time in lots of different networks, and it's never had issues like that. Haunted laptop part two, I think. <laughs> Maybe my haunted uh, gigabyte bricks projector that uh, for some reason is higher resolution in Windows 7, I think, than it is <laughs> on any Linux distro. <laughs> the resolution is really fucking nice, like 800 by 600 or something in Linux and like maybe a little bit more in Windows. So, uh, yeah, anyway. Well, all in all, it seems like you get it, why I use it, but, Will, you're going to join the club by the sound of things. But the other two of you respectfully disagree let's say katie's just too good <laughs> it's good for arcade machines yes. right well let's see what we're going to talk about in two weeks time then let's go to wheelofnames.com and let's click to spin the wheel what's it going to be and it is regolith linux so this is a tiling window manager i3 but with some help from the gnome settings and stuff it's like a an easy mode version of i3 if i remember it correctly cool that sounds good i'm glad you think so <laughs> i do use some i3 shortcuts with my kwin scripting thing oh well let's see if that comes in handy then okay this episode is sponsored by linode go to linode.com slash late night linux and see why linode has been voted the top infrastructure as a service provider by both g2 and trust radius from their award-winning support offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. 
Linode offers great price-to-performance value for all compute instances, including GPUs, as well as block storage, Kubernetes, and their upcoming bare metal release. Linode makes cloud computing fast, simple, and affordable, allowing you to focus on your projects, not your infrastructure. So go to linode.com slash late-night-linux, create a free account with your Google or GitHub account or your email address, and you'll get $100 in credit. That's linode.com slash late-night-linux. On to a bit of admin then, and thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $5 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. And that, of course, has Late Night Linux, Late Night Linux Extra, and Linux After Dark in it now. And if you want to get in contact, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Okay, this episode is sponsored by CrowdSec. Go to crowdsec.net. CrowdSec is a free and open source and collaborative Linux security solution designed to protect your servers, containers, services, apps, VMs, and more. Imagine a Ferrari losing a Formula One race to a 40-year-old Pinto with a broken headlight and two flat tires. That pretty much describes the asymmetrical cybersecurity industry. Money never solved the hacking problem. A new approach is needed, and CrowdSec wants to rebalance the odds and make security available to all for free. CrowdSec analyzes visitors' behavior and deals with malicious traffic. It offers an adapted response to credential stuffing, port scans, password brute forcing, and much more. Once an aggressive IP is identified, it's also shared across all users to ensure everyone's protection. So, if you want to join the community and protect your IT assets, visit crowdsec.net. That's crowdsec.net. So, Graham, your phone broke recently. Yeah, this this actually has really happened. So I had, I still have got the carcass of it, um, an LG G6 from 2017. I really like the phone. It was still working fine, although over the years I dropped it quite a few times. If I could show you the screen, it was it's fractured in many places. I was always surprised that it worked. One day it got really, really hot. I couldn't turn it off and then it turned itself off and then would never come back again. So... I kind of lost everything overnight, completely unexpected, really wasn't in the mindset to buy a phone. Also, this was a bad time of year to buy a phone. It was about a month ago. And so I had this Pine phone and I thought, well, this is the perfect opportunity. While I do some research on what phone I should get to replace the LG G6, I'll, I'll use the Pine phone. Surely I can at least use it. Like everyone, I can't remember the last time I actually used um, a phone for phone features and functions. So really just getting Firefox to work on it would be enough. But yeah, I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the, the spoiler is, it took you how many days to dig out a Nexus 4? Well, it, that's true, actually. I did end up using a Nexus 4 with lineage on it. Um, and in fact, I think I even got it right up to a lineage 10 or 11. But I really did try the Pine phone. I had Ubuntu Touch from when we'd done the podcast episode. I do like Ubuntu Touch. It's probably my favorite environment on there, but you can't yet make calls and receive messages on it reliably. <laughs> so I went quickly from... Ubuntu Touch to um, Plasma Mobile, running on Manjaro Arm, actually, because the latest packages are from Manjaro Arm on the Pine phone with the latest kernel. As it turns out, I had, I had a bit of a bank problem and I needed to get the one-time password texted to me, an SMS message. <laughs> so at this point, I was desperately trying to install an OS on it that would just reliably receive a, a text message. And I actually have bad coverage here. So the combination of bad coverage where I live... <laughs> And the phone meant that I never received the message. It didn't. I was walking around the garden. 
So I stuck with it for a couple of days trying to get this to work. Plasma Mobile, I then started to get a bit fed up with switching between the apps. It's not really made for the instant kind of access that you typically need when you need to do something quickly. I know the acceleration is not there and the phones are still relatively cheap. Um, so I'm not expecting much. And I know this is still beta as well. But the combination of not being able to accept text <laughs> messages. So then I have ended up on um, Fosh, the kind of Gnome Wayland build mm. um, for Manjaro Arm and for others as well. And I've actually, I kept that on it, despite the fact that I still couldn't get text messages and not receive um, phone calls. In the end, in use, while I was still trying to use the phone, which was for about a week, I ended up with Fosh. I found that the best UI. It's got quite a nice feature where when you push swipe up on an app, the app stays focused while you can see the other apps that you launch. There are things that that works, but it takes a long time to load an app. There's no proper caching in RAM to be able to switch between apps. It runs out of memory and crashes and turns off, which may be the kernel and the, and the cutting edge nature of running Manjaro ARM. Um, but the real the real clincher came when I went to pick up my daughter and I was using data so that we didn't have to do SMSs. The data didn't work on Telegram. I tried to call her instinctively thinking I'll just have to call her and I couldn't get through to her. And in the end, it took us about 25 minutes to find each other. <laughs> and so I kind of gave up with that. I put it back in the box and thought, well, I'm going to go find this old Nexus 4 that was ancient. And that's the point when I, I got more functionality out of the Nexus 4 with lineage kind of Android on it and got exactly what I needed really, even with this ancient version of Android or that I updated it. Pretty disappointing. There's another good thing that I did try that I meant to mention as well, that um, there's like a a competitor to Anbox now, which is like a, an Android emulator and it's called WayDroid and it's basically doing lots of native Linux container-like stuff so that it doesn't have the overhead of virtualization with Wayland to run Android. And in fact, it will boot up Lineage Android 10 just from the default packages. And I was able to run that on Manjaro Arm. And even on the Pine phone, the performance was excellent. And I was able wow. to install APKs on it. Um, I was able to access Bluetooth devices. I wasn't able to access calls or anything like that. But it shows a way, I think, when perhaps Manjaro Arm is running on a more powerful phone with more RAM and that kind of stuff, that you'll still be able to get the Android compatibility you, you need or, or lineage phalim, you know, with F-Droid access yeah. in, a, in a container while using the native Linux app ecosystem of the Linux running on the phone, which is quite exciting. But we've all seen this just takes so long and it just doesn't feel like we're getting anywhere quick. At least you've given me a slight glimmer of hope near the end there. But things like this make me a bit sad, the fact that people are willing to invest a lot of effort in the M1, but not in a board like i really wish there was a board that we had that we could say for the next five years because we don't really need massive processor power we'll focus on this and get a board out that works because i think the pine phone might be a fraction too underpowered for a lot of stuff or yeah might yeah. require so much optimization that you're sort of optimizing too early all the time and you're you know you're burning a lot of resources but still there can't be that many boards out there that are so top secret, they're doing something so amazing that they couldn't just go, oh yeah, I have this thing from five years ago, you know, it's as good as a OnePlus 3T or whatever, and we have a open development platform that we can have, and they can just keep making the damn thing. 
it's the small things like i also like i went out for a run and i put my bluetooth headphones on the headphones appear as left and right separate devices on the phone. Excellent. <laughs> I, I paired them both. I got it to work, but then it works for 10 minutes. And then when the, the screen goes off for, for battery saving mode, so does the Bluetooth. And it's like, oh my God, it's, it's like Linux 25 years ago. The thing is that it's not the dev's fault though, is it? No, it's, no. it's this black box nature of ARM. And it, it just shows what barriers they're facing because they're, they're working hard on this stuff but it's just so difficult and they really are and it genuinely still feels exciting to install this stuff and albeit with all the caveats of it not working but then to just realize that this is actually linux so well, how do i update it again oh i know what i do i do pac-man that's you and it's all updated you know the same skills you use on the desktop you use on your phone that's that's a revelation but the nexus 4 is still a lovely phone. I mean, it's underpowered and it's old and it's going to run old versions of Android and old kernel and everything, but that is still a lovely phone. It must have been just like, ah, going to that from the Pine phone. It really was. It was like, especially as I, with the bank stress and everything, it was like getting into a warm bath. It felt just like an ultra modern new phone. Um, everything moved quickly. It, it did what was i predicted it to do you know switching between tasks or loading telegram or getting a text message it just worked and firefox on it too okay this episode is sponsored by cbt nuggets training for it professionals or anyone looking to build it skills go to cbtnuggets.com slash late night linux and sign up for a seven-day free trial the on-demand virtual labs mean you can build practical experience with the commands, config, scripts, and everything you need to get the most out of each course. Another standout feature is the accountability coaching service, available to all learners with a subscription, which gives you access to a real person who will help you craft a personalized learning plan and set goals, and will check in with you to keep you accountable. So start your free seven-day trial today at cbtnuggets.com slash linux. It includes unlimited access to all course materials, including virtual labs. That's cbtnuggets.com slash late night Linux. Let's do some feedback then. First, something that came up on Late Night Linux Extra. Joe writing, not you. My two cents on the Signal Desktop install. I always use the flat pack of Signal Desktop for the sandboxing and containerization. The flat pack is maintained by Signal Foundation, as far as I can tell. And he gives a link to the flat hub. I think running the application in a container seems safer to me. Whether that gets compromised or my desktop from some other program gets compromised is likely a toss-up given my skill level and understanding of code. Anything that is chat or video conferencing I think should run in a sandbox, either browser or snap or flatpak, and I just prefer flatpaks. They seem more straightforward to my mind, though I have many snaps on my Ubuntu machine. Final word is just never put anything out there that you would be worried about. Privacy needs to be private to stay private. I think that's an interesting point about video conferencing apps being sandboxed. I don't know about you guys, but I quite often get these emails from spammers saying, oh, well, you've installed an app and now we've got videos of you at your computer. <laughs> and what were you doing at your computer, Will? It's not precise. I haven't dug into it too much, but they want me to send them bitcoins. Uh, but I think that's a, a really good point. Like, if you can sandbox those apps and keep them like contained, I think that's a really good way of reducing your risk. Yeah, they'll never get to find out that you went to muckyjpegs.com. <laughs> 
We also got quite a bit of feedback about the Vivaldi browser being made default on Manjaro. Um, this first one comes from Richard. When it comes to software freedom, I'm on the Stallman end of the spectrum, but a bit more pragmatic. I actually think the Vivaldi and Manjaro thing might push them to go open source. The Vivaldi CEO recently claimed they are largely or completely open source available at the moment and have had internal discussions about making the code base available under an open source license. By boosting their profile in the FOSS community, they will increase the pressure on them to consider this. In terms of customizability, Vivaldi is to KDE as Firefox and Brave are to GNOME. Their calendar is great, their command bar is great, their tiling is very nice, it's a real power user browser. So I'd really love to see it get a free license. Maybe it's wishful thinking, but a man can hope. I mean, I must say I've never given Vivaldi a go, or at least a proper go, because it's proprietary and I don't give a shit about it. Well, yeah, it's like, why does it need to be proprietary? What magic is in there? And if it's such a big deal to even have to discuss making it open source, then clearly it's a bit more than just a gooey toolkit. Mm. Well, here's hoping it would be great if it did become a free software browser. Although, Will said, I agree with Phalium that more browser diversity would be better. I like Will. But a problem is that Mozilla has never made it easy to use Firefox's components as a base like Chromium does. Mozilla also killed off their equivalent to Electron, Zool Runner, well before they killed off Zool. Also on the topic of browser diversity, Vivaldi is funded by search engine contracts just like Firefox. Not much diversity there. That does sound like something Will would say, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Not that well. And Pavan wrote in to say, I was one of those users in the Manjaro post to object to this. Some of us came to Linux because of privacy, and I don't like this move. If distros need funding, I think it's very ethical that they should do yearly or quarterly fundraising campaigns similar to Wikipedia. I am very certain that their community will donate, especially if the existence of Manjaro is threatened. I just don't think that's likely. Yeah, I think that's wishful thinking. Yeah, I'd love it if it was true, but I don't think there's ever been any evidence of, you know, when you can just, I'd like to contribute as well, but when it comes to it, you just download and install and promise yourself you do it later and never get around to it. Yeah, I don't think you can ultimately knock Manjaro too much for their decision to try and bring in a bit of revenue. And Graham, you were somewhat playing devil's advocate when we originally discussed this, but I think listening back to it a couple of times when I was editing and whatnot, like it did really hit home with me. They need a sustainable funding model. And I wish that Vivaldi was open source. And like Richard said, it might be wishful thinking, but they seem like they're nearly there. And if they could just do that and still somehow maintain a viable business model as Vivaldi and then pay to be in Manjaro and help them out, maybe it's all wishful thinking, but you have to try, don't you? And seemingly what we're doing at the moment when it comes to funding open source is not working at least on the desktop and so people have to try some new stuff from time to time and manjaro seems a a fair enough place to do it alan wrote in on the subject of elementary and he said for those noobs switching from macOS, instead of elementary os i would recommend fedora gnome 34 You all on the show lean towards Ubuntu, so that is all I have ever tried. But I have to say that the Red Hat boys and girls have done something awesome in the Fedora GNOME 34 distro. 
I'd be interested to hear everyone's take on the Red Hatters, especially Graham, because with the power of IBM behind them, they could take on the likes of Apple, Google, Microsoft, and keep it open for the little guys. I kind of thought that, and I thought, <laughs> wow, this is going to be great, until I saw that Whitehurst was leaving, and then I think that it might be IBM crushing Red Hat to death, but let's see. Well, I think that IBM have the might of Red Hat behind them at this point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe... Yeah, if you look at what IBM want to do with Red Hat, I don't think the desktop is a high priority for them. And I worry about all of the innovation that has happened on the desktop coming from the Red Hat side of things or people working for Red Hat, let's say. And it might come too early, you know, with Pulse Audio and now Pipewire or whatever. But Fedora is a great place to try all that stuff out and get it ready for the rest of us to actually use. And it does serve a really great purpose for Dora. And it's a great distro. I think that you have to know slightly more about what you're doing and be willing to do a little bit more maintenance than with Ubuntu, say. But then it's worth it because you get more features more quickly, I suppose. And I think the reason that none of us really talk about the Red Hat side of things very often is because we're all just happy on the Ubuntu side of things, or in your case, Arch as well, Graham, by the way. (laughs) I think we've touched on this before. It's a bit of a function of the time we've been using Linux is that we've kind of become a little bit stuck in our ways. Maybe that is a problem. There was certainly a time when I used used Fedora as my my daily driver for 18 months or so. That informed a lot of my opinions that I still have, but that was a long time ago. It'd be interesting to kind of force myself to use Fedora for some time. I still have an install knocking around. It's still a really important distribution, and the people that put it together work incredibly hard. I hope it continues to succeed as well. It's definitely a quality distro that I would recommend to people to try out, and it's just has a different way of doing things than Ubuntu. And it has a smaller user base as well. I think a significantly smaller user base. So that's why I think that you've got to be willing to put a little bit more effort in, especially if you want to go off into the weeds with it. But I'd have no problem recommending it. I'd I'd say try Ubuntu, try Fedora, see which one you like best. I happen to prefer the Ubuntu way of doing things, but they're both great distros. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when who knows what we'll be talking about. But until then, I've been John. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.